Welcome to episode 2 of the Publin Podcast, brought to you by Publin.ie and me, your host, John Garrity. This week, I was talking with Gar from the Thomas House on Thomas Street. We talked about how himself and his business partner, Kev, came to run the bar, what the challenges have been, and he also gave us a few good stories as well. So I'm really happy with how this podcast turned out, and Gar was a really great and funny guest to have on. So I started by asking him how he came to work in the bar and also how he came to run the Thomas House. Well, myself and Kevin were involved in the Thomas House before we took over. We were here, I'd say, for yeah, I'd say four or five years as kind of DJs and promoters. And at the time, Jay Burke owned it, who had the Pygmalion and he had the Globe at one stage. And yeah, he had half the places in town, and uh, he was the, the general owner. And there was two managers, a guy called Chris, a guy called Shane, um, an American guy and an Australian guy. And they were the general managers of the place. And we got on well with them. This was, we used to kind of drink here before we started doing any sort of work. And like I said, four or five years, I'd say we were here. And uh, we put in a sound system downstairs and we put, built a stage downstairs in the venue. Uh, we redone all the sound system on the ground floor as much as possible because there, there was just no money at the time. Jay Burke didn't want to spend a penny. And eventually, Jay Burke lost the place. Apparently he wasn't paying rent or something like that to the owner. So he got kicked out and the day he got kicked out we got a phone call off Shane who was the Australian manager. He rang me, I was at home dying sick and he said you need to get down here, there's fucking bailiffs here and they're, they're taking everything out of the place. <laughs> so I, do, I, had, I had fucking thousands of euro worth of my own kind of PA equipment and instruments and stuff down here. So I ran down and there was two big giant dudes at the door trying to get in. And there was a fucking uh, Shane, Australian Shane, American Chris, and two or three other members of staff. And then Jay Burke, and uh, I think one of his like, maintenance guys or handymen was in here, pulling the place a fucking sunder. Literally pulling clocks off the wall, pulling taps out of the bank, pulling kegs upstairs, getting everything into a pile while uh, trying to stop the fucking bailiffs from coming in the door. I got to the door and they seen me and the two lads pushed out, knocked down the bailiffs, let me in, locked the door behind me and we loaded up all my audio gear and in the time I was, I was getting all my gear upstairs they worked out a deal with the bailiffs to give them kind of two or three hours to get their shit together before they came in and uh, they came in to take the stuff so they brought the bailiffs in, they gave them a couple of points, they sat down, they had a couple of drinks and uh, I was able to load up all my stuff into the car. That was pretty much the last time I was in Thomas House under that management. Is, is this the origin story for uh, why you know regular customers are called Thomas House Defenders? Because you have to defend all the gear? A little bit. This place always needed fucking people to kind of look after it. Because nobody... The people who own the, the building don't really give a fuck about it. More so than anything else. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's owned... It's not, gonna, it's not shady, but it's, just, it's owned by like six different people. And each person has their own kind of corporation and company. So like trying to get anything done in terms of like structure or maintenance mm. work is, is a nightmare. But um, the, we've one point of contact in the owners and he's a nice fella. And uh, he generally, we go to him, we tell him something needs to do and he puts it kind of to the committee and comes back to us a week later with a yay or a nay. And uh, most of the time the stuff we've gone to him has been decent. But when the bailiffs came, they took everything. Uh, like I said, I think that was, that, that was the last night. 
they, they, we smashed all the glasses. We were absolute pricks. We got all the glasses, we threw them against the walls, we smashed them up, every plate, every foot. We wrecked the gaff to, uh, <laughs> to destroy it for the next person who was going to take it over. <laughs> and um, another guy came in, this fucking dirtbag called Mark Ralph, he was renowned in the, in the Dublin pub scene. He's, he's a fucking bottom feeder. He, uh, <laughs> he came in a couple of weeks later and basically what he does, he goes to pubs that are closed or failing and he goes to their owner and he says, listen, let me run it while you find the new tenant to kind of lease the pub and um, I'll give you whatever half of what I make or whatever the fucking deal is that he does and he's done it all over the place. You think he's done it up in uh, Tom Tavies, up in Jakar, he's done it in, um, where else he go? He's done some place, he, has some, he was involved in some place in Parnell Street, just opposite Fivers and um, he's just well known for doing this. But he goes into places and he basically runs them completely into the ground for as long as possible. We didn't notice at the time, so uh, he hired me and Kev to be like the promoters behind Thomas House while he had the lease. So we'd done our best. We again brought in, all, brought back in all the gear, cleaned up all the mess that we wrecked. Um, uh, this was this was about two weeks, I'd say, after after we'd left the first time. He got in contact with us and brought us in and. So we kind of we, we signed on with him. We were with him, I'd say, for four or five months before we just start getting the bogey fucking vibes off him. And one or two of the staff stayed on. Um, Shane, the Australian guy, he went off. He worked in Chennai for a while. Chris, American Chris, who was since died, unfortunately, he stayed on as the, the kind of manager. So he stuck around. And it, one by one, all the original staff, ourselves included, and I wouldn't even consider ourselves staff, but we'd we done a bit of work here, that everybody just dropped off because your man was. He was not paying people, mm. he was just stupid shit, he couldn't get the, couldn't get the stock. Um, there was people knocking on the door looking for money all the time, nobody knew anything about it. And one by one everybody left and he started replacing them then with kind of a... He replaced them with a couple of people who drank here, nice people. And then one by one they died off, they dropped off. And then eventually I got to the stage, I think it was about a year, year and a half maybe, I could be completely wrong. And um, he was gone as well and it was just closed and it was closed for months then afterwards. And then we got a phone call off the landlord saying that basically you guys have been here for the last kind of two incarnations of Thomas House. Uh, how would you feel about coming on board? And like we were on the fucking, mm. we were on the dole. You know what I mean? Yeah. And actually at that time we were working for the Mercantile and the Village and Whelan's as promoters. We had an office up beside Whelan's and basically we were on a, on a wage and we had a budget and we were told to bring over bands and fill up all the venues. Uh, we were involved in the Mercantile when the Mercantile was getting set up, set up with the venue there in particular. Um, it was originally a carvery, and we turned it from carvery into a venue. Of, I think it's a fucking French restaurant or something now. But we were there, kind of on and off. And then we got the phone call from the landlord. He said, do you want to do it? And we basically, we didn't have enough credit to go to the bank to get a loan, so we just kind of went to our families, and we put our hands out. And we borrowed a couple of grants to get a deposit together and paid the first couple of months rent. And I tell you who were instrumental in the setting up of this place was uh, Richmond Marketing, who do uh, like Miller and Peroni and Sailor Jerry. Mm. And because uh, we'd done a lot of stuff with Sailor Jerry, we helped them set up the brand over here. And um, when they first moved to Ireland, and we'd, we'd help organise, we gave them lists of pubs that um, Sailor Jerry would work in, we helped them set up their lunch parties, all that kind of stuff. So we went to them, we said, listen, it looks like we have a fucking pub. Um, how would you like to get a lot of your product in there? And they, they gave us fucking, Jesus, they gave us thousands of euros stock. Um, just to get you going? Just to, just to kind of fill the shelves and get us rolling. And then one by one, um, 
we've kind of gone through every fucking supplier now. And uh, before we're, we, 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 we wanted to be kind of 50% craft and I, I hate the word just craft beer. Does craft kind of kick it off around that stage? Oh yeah, yeah. That was what, three, three four years three ago? Years, three, three years, years ago, yeah. I yeah, mean, places right. like Against the Grain, which we're, where we're open and doing okay. Mm. And uh, fair play to the lads, they took a fucking cursed place. Cursed location. Yeah. And fucking and, and made a run of it, you know. And I, I feel like we're doing the same. This place is fucking cursed as well. Mm. Um, but against the grain, the only place in, in years since maybe Da Two or something like that that uh, that actually had a room there. But um, we wanted to go kind of fifty percent traditional and fifty percent craft and, and imported slash kind of international beers. Mm. And uh, so that's that's kind of the route we went down, and we brought in kind of some of the brew dog stuff and. Put that alongside kind of the rarer kind of domestic stuff like bass and tenants and whatever. Yeah. And uh, now we're kind of at the stage where it's say ninety five percent. Yeah, we're looking at the taps now. We're looking at the assholes and what's the red? We're looking at just just two. We've got two porterhouses in. We've got the porterhouse red at the moment. The porterhouse hophead, Pilsner Urquell, Aspel Cider, Cozel from Czech Republic. There's a Golden Drac from Belgium. There's uh, F- Brewdog 5am Saint there, there's Brooklyn Lager, there's, um, what else we got, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Sierra Nevada Rootless Roy, did, and of course... Did getting all those beers in at the start kind of make it harder um, when you were taking over a bar since it was kind of your first time, you know, actually managing well, to run the bar? Well, first of all, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We hadn't a clue what the fuck we were doing. We, like the fu- we didn't even have an accountant for about six months. We didn't mm. know we needed an accountant. We just bought shit. Like we were literally, literally buying stuff. Lads were coming in, like saying, oh, "I represent uh, such and such company. You know, are you interested in this beer?" We go, "Yeah, fuck it, give us ten cases of it." And it's probably still stock from that that stuff downstairs. I mean, then we did have to get an accountant. I, we <laughs> we met with a lot of accountants, and I picked the one that had a rubber hand, just because he had a rubber hand, and uh, <laughs> that was so yeah, qualification. Did, for didn't it. work out. Yeah, didn't work out. He <laughs> fucked us, and then. Um, <coughs> We're still paying for it to this day. That was like he he worked for us for uh, Jesus eight or nine months. I literally, I swear to God, I picked him because he had a rubber hand, and because uh, I couldn't remember the rest of them. Because me just and the 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 he had a big orange rubber hand. that was like I have to have him. <laughs> and um, he he yeah he fucked us. And um, we're still paying for all his his uh, his mix-ups. He called us out for an interview one day or a meeting one day. He was like, okay, uh, you owe uh, you owe the revenue uh, twelve grand. We're like, what do you mean we out of revenue twelve grand? And he goes, yeah, well, you know, you've been uh, doing X, Y, and Z, and you haven't made any uh, any returns in there. What do you mean returns? What the fuck am I paying you for? You need to fucking, you've got access to the bank accounts to do all this shit, so I don't have to do it. Mm. And he was like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, I informed you of uh, of there might be some possible um, money to be paid to revenue in there. Yeah, but I thought you were looking after. That's what we were paying you. <laughs> Prick, rubber-handed bastard, fucking. He didn't steal anything from us, he just fucked us over. So, like, we're still paying off kind of revenue bills and stuff like that from mm. your man, but, like, listen, you live and you learn. But anybody from the revenue commissioners listening now, you're no, completely on the level. No, but we are. We are now. That, that's the problem, you know what I mean? That's the problem about being on the level, is that we haven't been doing it long enough to, to be able to, to like, the, this, you, like, you'll talk to some kind of publicans who have all the little kind of, not necessarily fucking illegal manoeuvres, but they have all the little tricks and fucking, mm. you know, okay, you know, if you buy this in this amount, then you're able to get away with this. And, like, we're, we're still reasonably shy at this. Like, we're, we're only getting kind of quasi-decent at the business end of it now, three years in, because mm. we had to. Um, because that accountant fucked us over, and we, we got a decent accountant. Now who we meet with every two weeks. And um, 
we, he completely and utterly fucking guided us through the whole the whole situation. But he's uh, having a good accountant just just nothing compares to it. Like having mm. having somebody who can fucking say, all right. You know, I'm coming in next week to collect X amount of money, or you need to transfer X amount of money next week, and nobody will bother you. Mm. That's as far as I'm concerned. A good accountant is somebody who makes it so you don't ever have to talk to the revenue. You know, like I don't want to talk to the revenue ever. And just going know. back to, to like the starting days, um, yeah. you know, what influence did? Obviously, you were music promoters and yeah. bookers, so you know, what influence did it play that you know you thought, oh, I can get some of the bands I really want to see mm. play now that maybe wouldn't have played Whelan's or, um, or there wasn't a scene or a place for them to play, you know, what well, it, kind of impact think, did that have on it? I think that because we'd been dealing with, like I said, The Village and the Mercantile and, and Whelan's and stuff like that, and uh, we were doing stuff at the Grand Social as well, we started noticing the trend. I think finally the kind of, this is going to sound weird, but finally the whole kind of MP3 and kind of Spotify revolution had, had uh, finally dribbled down to um, to the to the small to medium sized live scene, and there was just less and less people coming out, and you start seeing bands that would normally play massive massive venues to kind of ten thousand people playing to like three or four hundred people, and then you'd see bands that would normally play to two or three hundred people playing to kind of twenty people, because um, people just weren't coming out because mm. music essentially kind of became free. Uh, it was no longer like an artistic endeavor. Everything was kind of a, a click away, legally or illegally. So the, the concept of going to see a band when you can download their entire discography and listen to them on the bus or in, in a taxi or fucking having a show, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, like the, the whole idea of actually going to see a band uh, just seemed to lose a bit of its, its kind of luster. So when we got in here, we knew we had the room downstairs that was roughly fitted out to be a venue. I mean, the bar was in the wrong position, so we had to take out the bar and move the bar, which is a nightmare. Mm. And then, of course, us being us, it couldn't go smoothly. The lads we had taken out the bar were fucking cowboys, made of bollocks of it. They had to get somebody else in the legs. Oh, it was just, oh man, they've made. Like the new bar that went in was fantastic because we knew the guy who built it, but the guys that took out the old bar, because the old bar was poured concrete and it was full of rebar, and um, took out the bar and they were supposed to kind of level off the floor because the floor was all rough concrete and stuff, supposed to level it off, and they used the wrong fucking level and compound. And one day there was some sort of, we had like a, a soul club down there. And, there's people dancing, and I thought the place was on fire. They're actually wearing through the concrete. It was turning into dust, and the dust was like billowing up the stairs. This kind of red dust because we painted the floor. It was fucking shocking. <laughs> I thought the place was on fire. They literally wore through this level compound stuff, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just every mistake that could be made. So we've made it at this stage, but we um, we decided that we'd start booking. Some of the bands that would pay, play to bigger crowds and start putting them on downstairs. So we started off kind of slow. We start bringing in people from bands as opposed to full bands. We mm. brought in guys from Morrissey's band, brought in guys from the Specials, guys from the Spoil Carpets and all these kind of older, older kind of groups, and then um, start building it up. And now we're kind of at the stage where we've got bigger, proper bands. A lot of the bands, to be fair, that we book here will be real genre bands, they'd be punk bands, they'd be mm. rockabilly bands. Did, did um, Thomas House in a way kind of take over from, you know, the Voodoo Lounge, their old crew? Because uh, I remember going to see like uh, the beach and stuff yeah. there, and it was kind of a similar size venue, um, you know, the bands they book would be kind of yeah, similar to that. Yeah, a lot of the bands that, because I, I used to book in the in the Voodoo for a while as well, um, I ran a lot of gigs, first gigs I ever ran were in the Voodoo Lounge actually, that was like a baptism of fire, because Voodoo Lounge held fucking 
think ground floor held like 350 people, 400 people, something like that. Mm. Um, just on that that kind of flat staged area, and then. Um, we have yeah bands. I mean, the band we've had bands play downstairs that have played the video and filled it before. Um, but again, that was fucking ten, twelve years ago. Mm. More in some cases. Now you struggle trying to get a hundred people into these venues. We've got a band called the Angelic Upstarts playing in a couple of weeks. Massive punk band from uh, the seventies and eighties, and uh, there's one hundred tickets on sale for it. And I mean, I started selling them four days ago. I, I haven't even sold half of them yet. And it's not a case of people don't know, people know. Yeah. People just aren't that bothered. You've got like a core demographic of people who want to go to gigs. But do you only sell them through the bar or do we you? We only sell them through the bar. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's the deal. It gets too messy. When you're only dealing mm. with 100 tickets, there's, there's no point in yeah. selling it. Sometimes you give a mate of ours as a t- tattoo shop on Parliament Street called Reincarnated. And sometimes we let him sell tickets. But I mean, he'd sell a couple, but not enough to warrant. The fucking grief of him even having the tickets. Yeah, commission. And yeah, exactly. Um, so we just sell them through here, but some gigs you'll sell out in a night. Some gigs could take two weeks. Mm. Some, I, I had a band downstairs that had members of the Clash, original members of the Clash, Sham 69, the Cognitive Rejects. Like, I'm talking like punk rock royalty. I remember that, yeah. And I think like 15 people came. Cost me fucking thousands. Jeez. Lost me arse on it. <laughs> and uh, like, it's not even that the band were phenomenally good, they were all right. But you'd think those names it's would be names. enough to attract so people, yeah. that, I honestly thought to be a hundred people with Clash Records to get signed. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, people literally bringing in LPs and CDs to get stuff signed. I thought there'd be a hundred of them at least, you know? Let alone the Cockney Rejects fans and, and, and like, mm. like, the whole situation is, is, is out of control with gigs. You've no dependency on, on tour now. Um, like, the band called The Dwarves, we have them playing here in August. And as far as I'm concerned, they're honestly one of the, the best bands in the world they're shit hot and they'd be really really big like, they'd go to play like Reading Festival and fucking like Glastonbury and stuff mm. the last one they played here apparently 25 people came in the village and Oof. like it's Ireland shoots itself in the foot in, in, on any given occasion yeah. um, I mean I've seen tweets from the Thomas Hayes account saying you know why do we bother putting on a gig on Wednesday yeah. if people aren't going to come? There's obviously like you know a lot of frustration when you put a lot of effort into this. It's really weird. And you think like you know it could pack this place out, but it's weird. I've seen I've seen really really shitty local bands play play gigs on a Monday night here and in other venues and fill the place out. Well, is that kind of a rent a crowd situation where your oh, mates absolutely. are going to yeah, sports and like? Fucking mates and mates going out on the piss more so than anything. Mm. Like the, the, I think the musical element of it has been lost very much so. Um, but what what you'll get this is weird, but because like, come, me coming from playing in bands myself and they go toured fucking all over the world with, with my bands, had great fun, put out records, signed fucking record deals, and had great crack. Seeing that, like being in the band and then being the promoter for the band and now being kind of the owner of the venue. And the promoter, or dealing with promoters, I've literally come at it from every angle, and it's weird. Like there's, there's venues, say down on Dame Street or, or in Temple Bar, and such as Joe Soap and the fucking Shy Hawks, <laughs> fucking book it on, on on a Wednesday night or a Monday night or even a Saturday or Friday, and they go in, they play their gig, and it's fucking packed, and they think they're fucking shit hot, and then they go and book a gig, say somewhere like here, that's a little bit off the beaten track. And they don't advertise it because they assume that like there's just some sort of fucking underground word on the street <laughs> about how good their band are. And they come here and they play, and there's like nobody there. 
but what they don't seem to understand is that a lot of these venues have just built-in crowds anyway. Mm. Um, like you got the uh, any pub on 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 Dame Street or Temple Bar any night of the week and fucking pull out a guitar, you know, two or three hundred people are just gonna stand around looking at you. They're yeah. not into it. They're, there they're not into anyway. music. They're just there. They're just fucking there. It's it, it's no uh, it, it has no it's, it's reflection. It's just one of those things about Dublin that like yeah. there's certain parts that people see as easily accessible and kind of the Dame Street area be one of them. And Thomas Thomas House is what ten minutes walk from Dame Street, I, if I, even. I, but it's the sick of fighting with people. I'm know? sick of fighting with people. If you if you use uh, you use the GPO, no sorry, you use Central Bank as the centre of the universe, right? Mm. For Dublin, which it is. Everybody's bus kind of stops there, which is I always use as the centre of town. And uh, we're fucking a third of the walk that it is the Whelans. We're mm. half the walk that it is the Fibbers on Parnell Street. I always consider uh, Thomas Street the kind of mirror image of Baggett Street, where the similar kind of distance mm. from that area, but for some reason Baggett Street is all kind of well, shiny and nice. And yeah, well, I mean, say in terms of, of you said Whelans there, so mm. like the Wexford Street, Angel Street area, there's a lot of kind of pubs that oh, are yeah. reasonably similar yeah. or have a bit of, you know, enough of a variety yeah. there. On this street, you've got kind of like Arthur's, which you'd kind of take care of, um, like a lot of tourists, yeah. and they do kind of theatre upstairs. You've got this place. Then everywhere else is kind of like they're, um, they're locals pubs. They're locals you know? pubs, yeah. So they're people pubs. don't really want to travel for them. Yeah, like the the problem with Thomas Street kind of inherently is that there's been no uh, there's been no love shown to Thomas Street by mm. either kind of dubs or the by, council, by the council or businesses. Yeah. Like there's nothing up here. There's no, there's no shops up here as such, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, there's no record shops, no clothes shops that, that are worth going to as such. Yeah, for you've got little in the Dole office. Exactly. And, and it's like a fucking stab factory outside Little. Like, you have to <laughs> run past it. And um, like, there's nothing up here. There's no draw for it. Mm. Um, I know there was, there was talk a couple of years ago about they wanted to kind of, not necessarily pedestrianise, but streamline the whole area. Like, when you got to Christchurch, it was this kind of mental stop block because you've got to be crossroads there mm. and there's nothing past it there's a credit union and a pub and then nothing again and there's a good kind of fucking five six minute walk of just nothing so why mm. would anybody bother going past Christ Church it is that just just that small there's, 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 there's plenty of tourists kind of walking up that street oh yeah there's well, loads like of tourists going up it, but they're, they're, it's just head down like fucking once we're past Christ Church next stop Storehouse, yeah, and there's nothing there to make people stop and look at shop windows. Or, mm. you know, there's a couple of cafes, a couple of really good cafes up here, and really good places to eat, but there's no kind of retail aspect to it, you know. It's all it's real, uh, kind of efficient daily need stuff. Like, you've got supermarkets, mm. you know, you've got your fucking little hardware shop, you've got the two euro shop, you've got yeah. bookies, you know. Well, there was talk of like a regeneration project, but like, is that a serious thing or just kind of talk on Twitter? Well, they set up what's called the what do they call it, the Thomas Street. Business initiative, yeah, and they had uh, people out in the streets, you know. It was basically yeah, every every business on the on the street had a representative, and there was a one guy I can't remember his name. They killed me. I can't remember his name, but he he headed it up, and um, he was doing good work. I mean, like after after he kind of started making noise about it, Dublin City Council started coming up, started actually sweeping the streets, started housing down the streets, and mm. um, they, they, they they got a move on. And then apparently he got he got snapped up by some multinational corporation. He's gone now, and uh, there's someone else coming in. I know uh, Councillor Manix Flynn. It's not even it's not even his area, but he's uh, he loves this place. He loves this area, mm. and uh, I know if he if he kind of gets gets on board, he wants he's got some ideas and some plans for the street as well, you know. But it's just the forgotten 
part of Dublin. It, it's that. a tough. You'd need somebody like some I know big name, whether it's a, mm. a shop or a pub or something to to kind of set down roots here and kind of. I think we just need like part of that regeneration thing was that they were trying to get Guinnesses slash Diageo and NCAD and all these people who and, and Digital Hub mm. who own loads of these buildings that are just closed up and, and shuttered up and are in bits to just release them to mm. just say like, we still own them. But we're gonna we're gonna rent them out for next to nothing, and let's get some something new like the ferocious mingle market. Exactly. Like that draws a crowd in. Exactly, like just, just exactly more of that stuff is needed. We need uh, a little bit more sense of community um, up around here. We need a little bit more left to centre thinking in terms of mm. what shops and what retail uh, things to put in up here. And if we can do that, then we're laughing because the infrastructure is set up. You know, we've got banks, we've got supermarkets, we've got wholesalers. There's enough businesses, uh, businesses on the street to get the ball rolling on it, but we just need more, we need more and more people to start putting stuff in up here. And if we can do that, then we can we can give the whole area a little bit of a of a, of a grassroots kind of um, regeneration. Yeah. And, and that that's the big thing. But like we've been here now for three for yeah for three years, we've been here, and you start to see little things improving. But for every shop that opens, fucking two more close, you know, mm. it's, it's 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 a tough time to be doing anything. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was, well, you mentioned kind of a sense of community around the area, but there's obviously kind of a sense of community around the pub as yeah. well. And I assume that's, that's grown out of, you know, you and Kev being here, you know, for the last years, even before you owned the place or ran the place. You've obviously made like a lot of mates through the pub as well. Absolutely. You know, built a lot of relationships. Yeah. How has it affected your social life as well? Like, are you here all the time and this is your social life now as well? And you kind of have to be the representative of the... It's the community weird. here. It's 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 odd because you you put on, you have this kind of work face. I don't, I don't go out anymore. I don't, I, to be honest, with you, I'm not really interested in going to the pub anymore, for for a couple of reasons. One is that fuck, I have have my own, so it doesn't really hold any allure to me anymore. Mm. Like, if I want to go drinking at fucking four o'clock in the morning, I can, you know. It's holiday. And um, the way I always say it is that I'm sure the people who work at Leo Bordocks never want to eat a bag of chips ever again, you know. <laughs> I'm not that interested in drinking anymore. Mm. I went, I went out first year. I went first year we were here. I went fucking mad. I went mad on the gargle, and uh, I had to stop myself. I was just getting drunk every night. It was great crack. Mm. Having fucking skit with like new people and mates of yours that coming up, and it was, it was literally a party for 365 days. And I had to fucking I had to knock on the head, you know. One night I was hearing me own on a Saturday. I don't know what happened. Loads of staff called in sick or something like that, and then Kevin went off to some gig and left me hearing me own. And it was packed, and I decided the only way to get through it was to drink a bottle of Bushmills. So I drank a bottle of Bushmills, and then I cracked open another one. I don't know how I survived it, but I don't even remember the night. Apparently, I was falling down, smashing glasses, and I don't know what happened. The till was a bit light that night, as <laughs> well. But I, I don't know, I was probably just handing out drinks to people. I'm sure if you were a mm. punter here, it was one of the best nights you ever had, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't remember anything about it. There's photos of me fucking lying on the floor and all behind the bar. That was kind of the that that's when I we really laugh, said. but it's kind of a realization. Yeah, moment. like at the yeah. time it was fucking ray crack, you know. Yeah, it was smashed every head, great fun, and now I'm going back thinking, like, Jesus Christ, you fucking gobshite. There's something wrong with having a few drinks. Like for for me, it's more the social aspect anymore. Uh, uh, just the social aspect these days, to uh, sit around to be either old mates or new mates and and just have the crack, you know what I mean? Like fucking have a yap. It's the social, the social aspect for me. Not the, not the getting smashed drunk end of it. That's no fun. Because once you lose control, that's it. What's the point? You know, you might as well drink a lot of bleach and just see what happens. Mm. You know, if you're not controlling yourself and looking after yourself, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. 
Um, like, like I said before, the, the business aspect of it has kicked in now where I need to balance the kind of social and the business end of it um, without losing the fun element to the pub. Like, like you said, I made, we, fucking, myself and Kev have made a fierce amount of friends out of this place that we'll have forever. This, the, the, the flip side to that is that people get real familiar with you and they start feeling like they're almost shareholders in the pub. Yeah. We've had almost as many. You and Kev don't. You know, you're not exactly the average publican. Oh, yeah, people exactly, think, you yeah. know, ah, anything goes here. Yeah, or um, a bit of gas. We've 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 had fallen out with people that are ongoing to this day from years ago, because people come in and, and because they know you and they might know you from before this place or they might have gotten to know you through Thomas House. Almost take the piss, you know, and um, you know, maybe you're closing at half twelve or you're closing at half two, whatever. If you're going late and you know they're, they're walking in five minutes before last orders. Mm. You know, and they're, they're sitting around, they're like, I was fucking, we're having a bleeding lock in, there's 30 of us. I was like, where the fuck have you been on, like? Yeah. And they've been, wherever, the, the Foggy Jew or Sweeney's or whatever, some other pub, you know? Which is grand for the other pubs, but, like, I'm not a fucking late night shop, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I want to go home to bed, you know, for fucking life. The dogs to walk, you know? And um, people coming in late and expecting to stay here all night are coming in absolutely smashed. I'm being refused from every other pub and expecting me to serve them just because I know them, you know. Mm-hmm. Because of that, people do, they get really familiar and they take the piss. And, and I'm not getting fucking closed down or, or not getting a bad name. Um, it's very easy to get a bad, bad name with the guards and have your mm-hmm. license revoked or your, 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 your late license revoked or anything like that. Or even just having a cop car parked outside, just turn people away, you know. Mm-hmm. And then um, trying to find that balance between the, the, the social and the business end. Being friendly to everybody, making sure everybody's having a good time, but making sure that you're not being fucking used and abused yourself. Yeah. Without using and abusing other people. I mean, I said it from the get-go that I welcome anybody who doesn't drink to come up here. We do loads of different types of non-alcoholic beers and non-alcoholic mm. ciders and coffees yeah. and teas the and soft drinks. The events as well you've done, like, you know, there's been games nights yeah, here. Yeah, we've done retro get games Get your hair nights, cut in here yeah, on a Saturday. Get your hair cut on a Saturday. All that stuff. We want this place to be more like a social club than a pub, but mm. no interest in running a fucking... Like a gold mine, and just like, there's no money to be made in the pub, and anyway, not not fucking this pub, I tell you. And um, then you get people ringing you, ask, asking you for money. You know what I mean? So you need a chance of a loan of a hundred quid. I'm like, I have a fucking fiver, man. I'm fucked. I'd walk here today. You know what I mean? <laughs> like everybody else gets paid before me and Kev get paid. That's that's the truth of the matter. Mm. This is a labour of love more so than anything else. It would be easier to be on the fucking dole. You probably make more money on the bleeding dole. But this is our fucking home now. We spent between 10 and 16 hours a day in here, you know what mm. I mean? Like, I don't know how we still have a girlfriend. We must have the best girlfriend in the fucking world, you know what I mean? To just let me do my thing, because she knows it has to get done, you know? Yeah. Um, in the last few weeks as well, you've kind of been embarking upon a really subtle PR campaign, sort of. You did the, the uh, Ask Me Anything on Reddit, yeah, on Reddit which thing, was yeah. extremely popular. Mm. Uh, that was on a Sunday, I think. I only saw it on the Monday. But that must have been seen by tens of thousands of people. Apparently, six and a half million people viewed it. This is what I'm told. There's four and a half thousand different questions. And lots of those questions had runoffs. So there could even be more mm. than that. All I know is that I started it for the crack. I have a, like a Reddit app on my phone. And I'm, to be honest, I just look at it for stupid GIFs and cat pictures. Mm. And I don't know anything about Reddit. I know that it's like kind of the boards.ie for the world as such. Yeah. And... Uh, I'd seen a couple of the AMAs, and they were interesting, and then I'd seen a couple of just average Joe Soap AMAs, and that 
they're always a lot more interesting. They're always a lot right? more the interesting. The top-rated one is some vacuum cleaner. Something like that, yeah. Like they're always a lot more interesting to me than what Will Ferrell is fucking doing. Like, you know, yeah. I don't care. And um, I said, fuck it, I'll do it, you know. And so I, I, I took out the laptop, sitting at home, and I was after updating the Twitter and the Facebook and the Yelp and the fucking God knows what else. Mm. I said, I'll have a look at this bleeding red thing. And I'd done an AMA. I said, oh, my name's Garrett. A pub in Dublin called Thomas House, fucking AMA, whatever, ask me anything. And the first one, the first reply was some dude who said, This shouldn't be in this fucking forum, it should be in the, the some like mini fucking uh, Reddit pubs with 200 subscribers. Something like or something that, like just, that just some sort of like mini fucking, you know, as far like fucking, you know, I, I have a fucking kitten, ask me anything. <laughs> and he was like, You need to move it to this, so it was casual AMA, it's called casual, move it to casual AMA, nobody gives a fuck. And I came back an hour later, and it was like fucking the sixth most popular thing on Reddit. And I, <laughs> there was thousands of questions. And I spent ages trying to find that dude again. To find <laughs> that comment. To ask him where exactly that fucking, that subreddit forum was. Just to stick it in his face, the prick. I, could, I couldn't find it. But uh, I sat there for ten hours. Fucking answering questions on Reddit. I, I, all I, I felt like all of them was ask, answer questions about Irish car bombs. And yeah. I used to be a tour guide for pub crawls and that was, you know, start of the night. Is it okay it. if we ask for one of these? I, I had one. I had They're fucking awful. <laughs> I love them now, Curly right? Goodness. I love them, right? I fucking I I had one in Detroit once. I played a gig in Detroit, and somebody said, "Oh, Irish car bomb." There, all right, fucking. I drank it. I was like, whatever, some sort of concoction. I'll be all right. Mm-hmm. And I never had one again afterwards. I coined coined and knew what it was. I didn't exactly know what it was. I had to look it up then. And I came in here the next day and I had one. I was like, "That's all right." And then one Tuesday night, a lot of us here decided, well, "We'll just do a lot of car bombs for the crack." And we got fucking decimated. Here on a Tuesday night, and uh, it was a bad idea. We ended up fucking running around topless, listening to Super Tramp till fucking four o'clock in the morning after drinking loads of these fucking car bombs. But that that uh, just burned into my head the idea of these car bombs. Every second question was car bombs, car bombs, car bombs. Mm. And there was some interesting ones as well, like stuff about uh, the quality of Guinness abroad. Yeah, that a lot of people didn't. I don't think they understood that I was doing the gas. But there was a lot of questions like just interested in you know the day-to-day running of a pub mm. that you know we just don't get to see because we're just here to, to have a pint or whatever they were kind of the more interesting absolutely. ones like you know absolutely um, there was some good ones source and drinks and you know what's what's your margins and all that yeah, and then there was some really poxy questions you know like how much do you earn mm. personally per annum so like, fuck you yeah. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> fuck all but I, I reckon like in the next few months you'll probably get a, a string of a few people who are coming to dublin anyway who are going to pop their head in i had one last night Really? Uh, yeah, my husband and wife came in from the States, had uh, read the, the AMA on Reddit, came in, had a beer, had a bottle of Mountain Man, here we go, then left. Yeah, they were here for about half hour, 40 minutes, talked to them for a little while about mm. the Reddit thing and then they split. I've got to have my speech pre-prepared now because loads of people have been coming in. Mm. They're like, oh, I've seen your Reddit, and I just go, yeah, 10 hours. So I don't know what else to say to them, I was like, I just answered questions, you know. <laughs> I don't know, I was like, yeah, it took me 10 hours. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was interesting, yeah, it took me ages. It was fucking torturously long. Like by the end of it, my eyes and all were fucked. I couldn't, I couldn't hack it anymore. I had to go to bed. Mm-hmm. I answered a few more the next day, but these things, and let's just stay on them. They die. You know, if you, if you take more than kind of 40 minute break, it's over, forget it. Yeah. So that's why I just rode the shit over for 10 hours, you know, yeah. to get it done. I done a little bit the next day. I think I did a little tiny bit the next day. Um, yeah, I stayed in the top 10 for like three days or something like that. I stayed on the front, front page of Reddit for like two, two or three mm-hmm. days at least. Um, How did, did that compare to say you did the at Ireland Twitter account? Which for anybody listening, it's a you know one person, different Irish person every week takes it over and just talks about whatever they want. I did it for one week last October, I think it was, 
and you did it as well. That was pretty tiring. It was that torturous? Mm. Torturous. The fucking level of arsehole on Twitter is just <laughs> high. There's some great people on there as well. I'm not gonna say all of them were, but it was just I don't I don't know what people want. I mean, the old mm. kind of adage you can't please all the people all the time, you know. But like, the, surely there's a fucking middle ground where people are like, this this is a different human than me talking you know yeah it's opened my brain or opened my mind a tiny bit to maybe some other concepts and, and opinions on things and i'm trying to be as flat as fuck yeah if, I, if i've got someone else's twitter like i'm putting very little yeah if you want to check it. what the difference is go look to the, the thomas yeah, house again go, go to the thomas house back back the, exactly the exactly i got in trouble the first day because i asked carols if they make dildos with the world world ireland printed on them <laughs> and um i fucking hate carols i hate i hate everything about carols they were like the first fucking person to say hello to me when I when I, I took over the account. They were like, "Oh, welcome, fucking to the Ireland account." And now I think they were asking me to fucking retweet something. Yeah, so yeah, you get a lot of that. Yeah, I'm not fucking peddling your I, fucking. I had the week before shite. I took it over. There was this uh, German guy, but he was tweeting from Berlin or somewhere. And on the Friday, he had a few jars, and then started tweeting about how lonely he was, and asking if there's any girls out there Holy for him. Holy shit! Yeah. And then by the time I'd taken it over, there was you know articles in the Metro in the UK about this drunk Irish guy. So like, it's still it's my name, but it's his photo oh, still yeah, yeah, up yeah, on yeah, Twitter yeah. for yeah. the first day. Jesus! And he had control of the account, and he started tweeting about how lonely he was. Yeah, this was like two days before I took it over. So that's it. Dara is the guy who looks after all the curation. Mm. He's a lovely fella. He drinks. Yeah, that, that's. I didn't nice know stuff. anything about it because he came into me on the Friday. It was uh, the Friday before Paddy's Day. Paddy's Day was on Monday. And uh, he was in here drinking on Friday. And he's, he, I think he had a few drinks on him, to be fair. And he just pulled me aside. And he goes, Car, do you want to look after the yeah, Ireland account next week? I'm like, man, it's fucking Paddy's week. You know? And he goes, yeah, it'll be great to get a pub involved in it. Mm. I was like, well, what do you want me to do? He goes, just do, your, do the Thomas House thing on it. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, just do the Thomas House Twitter thing. I said, what, what, what can't I say? He said, yeah, you can't say cunt. He said, alright, I won't say that anyway. I said, because there'll be war. Mm. I said, no, I'm not, I won't say that. He goes, right, that's it, that's it. Literally, within like five hours, I had an email off him saying, listen, man, you need to step back a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Doyle it back a bit, will you? So then I just went, into just, I, I think the, the last topic of the day. Uh, just, and just, I, I tried to use the account to promote other Irish businesses mm. because it, it's something that lacks severely in this country. This, this whole country is about 20 years off having a fucking roof over it and, and just being called fucking Starbucks land, you know? Mm. It's, it's getting to that stage now where there's just giant multinational corporations and franchises that are just taking over fucking everything. And the whole idea, the kind of, the little corner shop and the independent business, they're just gonna end up in shitty fucking markets. People who had actual shops are just gonna end up with, with a, a fucking trestle table in the market because there's no support there for independent Irish businesses. It's almost like the government don't want anything to do with them because they're just not making enough money off them. Yet when it comes kind of fucking tax time or, or, or rates time, there's fucking murder if you're like a week late, you know what I mean? Mm. They will they'll just ride you into oblivion. But if you need anything off them, God help you. So I said, like, I've got whatever, 20, 30,000 followers on this account. I might as well try and help some people spread the word, at least get them some, some new followers. Something might come of it. I mean, mm. you never it, know what happens on Twitter. That's it. Listen, if somebody sold one extra fucking T-shirt or whatever they're selling through a retweet that I sent out, and Green Dildo with Ireland. Exactly, <laughs> Green Dildo. There's obviously a hole in the business for that. But um, tush. But, uh, <laughs> the uh, there has to be like people need to start looking after each other. Like we, we we're starting we started a new night here a couple of months ago called the Defenders. 
and uh, it's just me and Kev DJing. It's all vinyl, like proper old school DJing. But we're we're getting all these kind of I would call them sponsors, but not necessarily sponsors. I've got, I've got like three or four people that I know, and, and, and their businesses, and I'm just I put their logos on the posters, and I'm telling them to come down, and you know, put some flyers on the tables, hand out some business cards, you know, bring that gang down, have a few drinks, make it more of a kind of a social club type of thing. They like the lads who print T-shirts, and um, maybe a tattoo studio, another mate that has a comic shop out in Dundrum. Mm. Um, it's kind of the equivalent of other pubs trying to get the office block in. Yeah, much. you know, but like. Aside from just wanting their people in drinking, I actually want to help them get some business. Because, I mean, if we can, oh. if they can tell their customers, this is the pub that we like going to, to maybe some of their customers, customers will come up here. And if we can tell my customers that this is the comic shop that I like buying my comics off, yeah. then maybe they'll get some business off our customers. You know, like, the government aren't helping us. And all these business initiatives aren't helping us. So we're going to have to help ourselves. It's that simple. Like, there's nobody going to do it for us. So small businesses, even if they're in competing uh, areas, have to look after each other. I, I think you, you are seeing that more with pubs now yeah. from publicans that I've talked to. It's just the excise duties going up. Oh. So they're like pubs, you know. There's excise duties going up, up and the, the more popular beers have higher ABVs. So they're, they're more expensive mm. and the tax on them is much higher. So. People don't want that four and a half percent piss anymore. They want fucking seven, eight, nine percent piss. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's more expensive to sell. So just like the, the pubs will battle each other. Pubs will always fight, even if they're not fucking near each other. You know what I mean? Like I grew up with the grave diggers in Glasnevin. Grey pub, you know, sound staff. Mm. Like, but I want their customers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to survive. But I'm not going to do that at the cost of their business. So like, there's a little healthy competition between everybody. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're mad mercenary and we're out to fuck each other over, nobody's going to win. Yeah. Nobody's going to win except all the pubs on Dame Street who don't have to advertise, don't have to take out mm. ads in the newspaper, don't have to do radio ads, don't have to do posters, don't have to do anything. Literally, t- half time in the morning, open the doors full or, or close to full until they close. And fair play to them for, for getting there, you know what I mean? Like Everybody who owns those big pubs started off probably small themselves, but just a small independent business doesn't matter what area of business that they're in, have to look after each other. You know what I mean? Like if I've got people who drink in here who make stationery, you know, I'd like to be able to help them sell more stationery. You know, I'd like them to be able to help me sell more points. It's that simple. Okay, well, as a closing note, I think, I, I was trying to think of something that I'd ask everybody at the end of each interview. So, impartially, what would you say are your favourite pubs and what, what would you say makes a good pub as well? Um, I, don't, I don't think it's selection of beer. I think it's like an intangible kind of thing. That mm. I think it's almost like meeting your girlfriend or your boyfriend for the first time. You know, there's, there's an instant little kind of click there, an instant little connection, you know. You walk in a pub. You, you walk in, you just go, this is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't know where the jacks is yet. You go, I don't care. You know, I don't know what they sell, but this is fucking, the temperature's just right, or the table's at the right height or something mm. like that. So it's just this little, this little clicky thing that can happen. Favourite post, you know, it's that long since I was out, I'm trying to think. You used to always have a soft spot for Brogan's on Dame Street, mm. next to the Olympia for some reason. I don't know what it was. I think it was like the smoking area out the back, the fact that they had all the fucking gas canisters exposed <laughs> and, you, and you could blow up the place if you really wanted. Um, they were just there, just sitting next to these big fucking gas cans. Um, Element of danger on your night. Yeah, exactly. I was like Brogan's. Had a soft spot for the Voodoo years ago. Not necessarily for drinking, but just for gigs, because some of my mm. favourite bands kind of played there. Um, a lot easier to reel off the place I don't like, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> um, 
mean, there's nowhere I hate. I don't hate anywhere. I used to love the Foggy Jail. Foggy Jail was, was my fucking home, like, home for a long time. I haven't been in there in years, so I, ju I just don't know what it's like. Where was I a while ago? It was in Pmax. I like Pmax. Mm. I like the range of gear in Pmax. It's a good spot. That's one of those places where it's it's intangible. Like I don't know what's good about it. It just is good. It's something to do with the it's, layout. Like I wasn't well, mad on VFR, but it's like uh, it's like drinking in an Oxfam home, right? Because mm. <laughs> it's just tables and chairs fucking everywhere. It keeps your brain active because you walk in and you have to go a particular route through all the tables and chairs. And you go and you sit down and you have a point and then you want to go out for the smoke. There's so many people there, they've moved all the tables and chairs again, so you have to like find a way out again. It's a bit like Pac-Man to get out of the place. But I think like the staff there were sound, the range of beer was great. It's a grand little location, it's not overly busy, not overly quiet, it's mm. easy to get taxis to and from. Uh, against the ground, fantastic pub as well. Pretty much the whole, uh, all the lads' pubs are fantastic. Mm. Um, I live close enough to the brew dock and I still haven't even been in there. I, I walk past it every day. Just because, like I said, I'm just not out drinking that much anymore. Mm. Barely. We had our Christmas party in November, and that was the last time we was in another pub for a point. And we went to PMAX, we went to Against the Grain, Brookcells. We were everywhere, actually, and we ended up back here. And someone called the cops on us, because we were too loud. <laughs> back here. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I think that's... I think Toner's on Bagot Street is a great pub as well. Yeah, and lovely, so, lovely beer garden there as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. There's, that, that, that seems to be a big thing, it's, if it's got a good beer garden, it's just, it, It'll be packed for it, one week of the year at least. Exactly. <laughs> it just moves up, especially if it's got a covered beer garden. Yeah. Like, like Fibber's up there in Parnell Street. I mean, you can walk in there and the place looks empty, but there's like fucking two or three hundred people in the, in the, in the smoking mm -hmm. area, mm -hmm. out the back, you know. That's yeah, a fine, every, ev everywhere has its merits. Yeah, that's and a fine selection of pubs and mm. a nice kind of cross section as well. Like you go to those pubs for for different types of things, like different types of nights. Yeah, I, like I, 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 I don't want to give all the credit to kind of the, the newer craft beer pubs because there's some classic pubs that mm. that have been there for that long that they they have that spark the minute you walk into them. I'm not picking those pubs because they're new and interesting. I'm picking them because they actually they have a thing that you walk in, you know, and you go, "That's a fucking good spot to stay here for a while." Um, yeah. Right, well, Gert, thanks a million for giving us the time here for no the second problem. pub and podcast. Uh, I hope people listening to it enjoyed it and weren't put off by the swearing. It was actually pretty tame by, by Gar standards. Uh, so thanks very much. It's going to be nice. <laughs> and tune in next week. Thanks very much, guys. Look. Well, there you have it, episode two of the Publin Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, be sure to get down to Thomas House and check it out. We've got our next two guests lined up, and I'm pretty sure you're going to find them very interesting. So if you want to find any pubs with drinks, deals, beer gardens, good food, or anything else, just go to publin.ie, download our free app, or visit us on Twitter at publin.ie, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash publin.ie. Thanks very much to Ian Dunphy for his music and editing help. He's been immense, so we'll see you next week.